0: Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of Odyssey House Journals. I'm Randall Carlisle along with Rachel Santizo. Our guest is Tiffany and we will meet her in in just a second. Um, This is one of the most watched and listened to podcasts around the world we can say now uh, dealing with addiction and recovery. So and we owe that all to all of you out there watching and listening. So thank you very much. And I need to say hello to Columbus, Ohio, right? <laughs> For some reason, we have a lot of people in Columbus.
1: They lost. Hmm. They lost the game.
0: No, they didn't.
1: Yeah, they did. I thought Notre Dame beat them. No,
0: they beat Notre Dame. Just kidding. Didn't they? No. I'm sure they did. Look, we have no football fans. We'll figure in the this background. out. <laughs> we. I'm sure they did. Otherwise, Brandon I I w-
1: will have to cook me dinner if they did. Huh.
0: Didn't. Okay, I will. <laughs> Uh, we always try to start out with a little news story, and, and this one sort of applies to Tiffany because fentanyl was one of Tiffany's drug of choices. Uh, the, the DEA, this week, it'll be a little dated when people are watching this, but it, uh, they issued an advisory. This is terrible about brightly colored fentanyl pills and powder that look like candy. Mm. And are designed to attract children and young adults. And have you heard of that? They call it rainbow fentanyl.
2: I haven't heard of that. I just know it when it was the little tiny white powder.
0: Yeah, that's that's what I always thought it was. Can you imagine that whoever is manufacturing fentanyl saying, how can we... Attract more kids to do this?
1: Yeah, and why? Like, I'm so confused as to why. I understand, like, the addiction part and using and selling, but why are you trying, I guess, to manufacture? That's sad.
0: That's oh, I know. Sad. It's disgusting. Anyway, that's our little news thing. And and, yeah. and thank goodness the, the DEA, whatever you think of the DEA, thank goodness they issue alerts like this so people right. can be, you know, looking – You have a young son, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, this way you would know because you wouldn't know even though you used fentanyl Mm -hmm. and you were used to it as a little white powder. Mm -hmm. If some, if some brightly colored pill or powder, you wouldn't know that that was fentanyl unless you heard something like that. Anyway, Tiffany is a successful graduate of the Odyssey House program. Uh, you were in the program, you and I were. I I picked her up where she was living. Mm -hmm. Uh, You were in the program for a year, right?
2: Yeah, I was at Lighthouse for eight months and then Sugar House IOP for six months.
0: And now you're in transitional sober living. Yep. Yep.
2: Congrats. Thank you.
0: You look look great. You look clear and everything. One of the things driving over here... Her claim to fame, I guess, I don't know if you, infamy maybe, is she said that she, she's been arrested in almost every county in Utah.
2: Yeah. Ooh. That was the joke of uh, one of my therapy or therapists at Lighthouse. So he always right. got on my case about having a case in every single county.
1: So. And what were the charges for the um, counties? Were I they always the same?
2: No, um, I lost my license when I moved to Utah um, after my first DUI, so I always got, like, driving or traffic infractions and stuff like that. I got two DUIs within 18 Mm -hmm. months. I have five possessions and paraphernalia. Yeah, so I'm lucky I didn't have to go to prison.
1: Yeah. I love hearing that. I know that you're stating a lot of charges, Mm -hmm. but it's also made you the woman you are and look at how courageous Mm -hmm. and strong you are. So I love hearing
2: that stuff. And now I'm on paper. Hey. (laughs) Let's
0: start at the beginning. When did you start using and how did it progress?
2: Um, So when I was 15, 16, I got into ecstasy a lot. I was doing ecstasy to go to high school every day. That's how I would start my day or to just go shopping. You were high
0: on ecstasy going to high school? Yeah.
2: And going shopping or if we'd go on a walk, I'd have to pop a pill. Um, And then I got into cocaine and drinking from like 16 to 18. And then 18 to 21 was meth and alcohol. Um, Then I got pregnant with my son when I was 21. Um, I stayed sober for until I was about 23. And then, unfortunately, for a Mother's Day gift, I got a sack of meth.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, and so that got me restarted. And then I got into shooting meth from 23 to 25, and to come down, I got into heroin. And then in 2018, I came to Utah, and that's where I started getting into heroin with fentanyl and crack.
1: And it's, it's interesting. We were just having a conversation about parents and recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, you said for Mother's Day, which was really powerful, mm-hmm. that for a gift you bought yourself.
2: No. Bag. Somebody my, gave her oh a Oh, my gift. goodness. I'm sorry. A who in <laughs> the hell would give you a Mother's Day gift, a bag What's of milk? Of course, My son's father. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Did he want you to get hot? Well, he must have been using that.
2: Yeah, he was using well, it at the time.
0: So he wanted yeah. you to join the crowd.
2: Yes. Whew.
0: Jeez. I know. uh, And so you did, Mm -hmm. and and does that make things better or worse in a relationship?
2: Oh, I dumped him when I was six months pregnant, so he's never been in my son's life. Um, He tried to be in and out, but he's still a meth user to this day, so he's out of the picture.
0: Boy, talk about misery loves company. Here's somebody in recovery. Here's some meth.
1: (laughs) And you said that you moved here, so it's interesting. Where did you move from?
2: Um, Lodi, California.
1: And coming from California to Utah, and then you come to Utah, and that's when you really get involved with heroin and fentanyl. Was it more available here?
2: Um, Well, I was a really bad addict in Cali, but um, I wanted to get clean, so the plan was to come to Utah Mm -hmm. to get clean. And I relapsed because my take homes for my methadone ran out, so it was easier to find heroin to get well because I was homeless. Living in a truck Mm -hmm. in the snow, and trying to cold turkey from ninety milligrams of methadone. Whew. So it was just easier to get high again. So I did.
1: Yeah. Which is which is common, right? Because when you're withdrawing it just feels like death and it is mm-hmm. easier to go and get high so you don't have to feel that way. Yeah. Definitely. And then you found fentanyl, how easy was that?
2: Um first we would just I mean like I always wanted to like get as high as I could, so mm-hmm. we would try to find um, fentanyl or like heroin laced with fentanyl but then finally I found someone that we just had pure fentanyl and it literally only took five cc's of doing fentanyl for me to overdose the first time which that's another story in itself also I overdosed I overdosed off my boyfriend's shot that he had already previously overdosed on so I just took it out of his arm, finished the five cc's, and overdosed myself. Luckily, there was a third party there that saved us both. But How then, did they save you? Um, Narcan. Mm-hmm. The injectable and the nasal. It took both for both of us.
0: Wow. Yeah. Didn't you worry about, I mean... It doesn't matter whether you're deep into addiction or not. You hear stories about people dying from overdoses of fentanyl. Did you worry about that, or didn't you care?
2: Um, The relationship that I was in at the time was very abusive. It was really hard Mm. to... That's how I survived. Um, Even though it's not even really surviving, that's just how I went on living, was just getting high again. But finally, I got sick of thinking about my family and my son not knowing if I was dead or alive. I did every shot, not caring if I was going to come out of it. And then finally I just got sick of that. So I, um, that's when I got into treatment, but yeah.
1: I think like when you're saying, I think it'd be really hard for people to understand, but when you say your boyfriend OD'd in front of you and you grabbed the needle and used it, mm-hmm. I was trying to put myself in your shoes when I was using and I, and my thought process easily could be like, oh, that must be good stuff. Mm-hmm. I want some of that.
2: Yeah. I was jealous.
0: Yeah. That, I mean, that sounds so mm-hmm. so stupid to outsiders saying yeah. you just watched him overdose and you're putting the same stuff in your veins
2: yep same stuff same needle i I saw him he was gray and the third party was giving him the narcan and i just walked back to the bedroom did it and i tried to walk out and didn't even make it out to the hallway but unfortunately that day started like the next four or five days of overdosing every single day i tried to do a tiny bit of something and i just kept overdosing
1: so did you have people with you, like a third party all the time?
2: No, so that, that boyfriend that came back was with me, so.
0: Okay. But, so So yeah. I'm trying to picture this. Okay, you've, you've OD'd, you told me, what, like 10 times in a mm-hmm. row or something. Uh, and so you know that at the point you put the needle in, that you might not ever wake up again. Mm-hmm. Where is your head when you're doing that? I mean, did you want to die?
2: I don't. I didn't want to die. But my son is in Cali, and my parents are in Cali, and so is my brother. Um, when I moved to Utah, I didn't realize until recently the reason I moved to get sober and clean. But when I was in treatment, I realized um, why I really moved was because my son was six at the time. It was getting too hard to hide my drug use from him. Mm-hmm. So when I had the opportunity to move to Utah, it was my way out. I could go run amok and not have to worry about it. So I just went a little too far with that.
0: Did you ever think about, I suppose you don't, when you're, when you're deep in addiction, about how your son would react hearing that mom died of an overdose?
2: Yeah. Um. Well, not at the time. Now I think about it more because uh, after I graduated, I was able to go home and go visit him for the first time in three years or over three years, and he's ten now. So, um, and he asked me, he's like, "Can you be back, like, and live with me forever?" When by the time I'm in sixth grade, and I'm like that's a major thing. Like, I want to do that for him because that's when like big things happen. But when. For me, in middle school, when I went to middle school, that's when big things happened. Big things changed. Body changes, friends and everything like that. So, we talked about being there, like, when he's in the sixth grade. But, like, that's my ultimate goal. Like, that's, I won't go any further. Like, I won't be without him. I want to be a living living parent when he is in middle school. Yes. Yes. But after I saw him this last trip, um, yeah, I thought about if he had found that out or whatever. Cause he, like I said, he knows my treatment and he knows I was in recovery. He doesn't know the gory, gory details. Right. Mm-hmm. But he's not, he's very smart. He's very, very smart so, and he listens a lot. So if he found that out, it would be something, it would be hard to deal with. And I always get worried because his dad is an addict too and I'm an addict. So I'm like, people tell me like, aren't you worried about him? He's gonna be an addict also. Mm-hmm. When I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. I've heard that several times, but I don't believe it. I, he doesn't have to be.
0: No, it's I think there are so genetic unfair. tendencies. Mm-hmm. At least, yeah. my, you know, my problem was alcoholism. And, and I know that on the paternal side of my family, for a whole bunch of generations, everybody was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Okay? And that doesn't mean that I'm guaranteed of being an alcoholic. Yeah. But stuff I've read says that if I, in, if I ingest alcohol and like it, that I am 50% more likely to become an alcoholic, not necessarily that I will, but I'm more likely to become an alcoholic because of my genetic makeup.
1: Mm. Or even life circumstances, right? Like I think that's so unfair for someone to say to a young woman that's trying to get her life back, like worry about today and your next steps. So if it does become it could be him it could be a cousin it could be a loved yeah. ones whoever it is that you are prepared to show up in a way that other people can't show up because you've been through it right. and had that lived experience that just really breaks my heart yeah. yeah
0: yeah yeah well and i hope i mean do you have plans of getting back together with him do you do you have to go through some legal you stuff know,
2: i have full custody of my son i'm off paper It's just my choice of when I'm ready to go back, Mm -hmm. but um, I have an older brother who really stepped up for my son, Um, he stepped up his entire life because his father father wasn't there, but um, he's putting off kids until I'm settled and he knows I'm not gonna go back. He's five years older than me, so it's, I mean, I have major goals, but yeah, I just need to get back. I don't have to do anything but be there for, like, myself and my son. So it's just whenever I'm ready to go back. But I I don't think relapse will be a part of my recovery. It doesn't have to be, and I don't want it to be. But I just need to be 100% sure that I'm not going to put my family through anything ever again. So as soon as I – like, I'm working full-time right now. Um, so as soon as I save up enough money, I – and I can get my license back. Because when I went to go visit my family, I didn't have my license, and it's kind of, I don't know, I stayed with my parents too. So it was great staying with them, but I don't want to have to depend on anyone but myself. Mm. So I, there's little goals that I have to accomplish before I can move back.
0: You're going to make it. I'm sure of it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah.
1: And I love how you just stated to the world, like, i I can have him. I want him. I love him. I'm a good woman. But it's not time just yet. I want to make sure, because when you love someone, like, you will make sure that you're right before going into their life. And so I thought that was super powerful, and I'm glad you you said that. I think that's a good mom right there. Thank you. A really good mom.
0: You were used to getting high and numbing yourself to deal with life circumstances, Mm -hmm. whatever they may be. Yeah. Uh, What did you learn in treatment so that you don't have to numb yourself When something good or bad happens,
2: um, so accountability is huge in Odyssey. Huge. Um, I absolutely love it. It's something that I didn't even know about before. Um, My, yeah, like that's a huge thing. Um, Boundaries is a huge thing that. It's personal boundaries, boundaries with people that are gonna keep me safe and not using again. Um, and just self-forgiveness. Before I used everything as, as an excuse to use. Now I use everything as an excuse to not use. And it feels good. It definitely feels good. <laughs>
0: and, and that's an interesting, interesting way of looking at things because, I mean, all three of us, or deal with an addiction and it's a lifelong complicated disease that you have to deal with but we all used whatever substance Mm -hmm. to deal with something good something bad a death in the family Mm -hmm. uh, a partner dumping you uh, that kind of stuff but the rest of the world goes through all that stuff and they don't get high you know
1: Right? I, I think it's being, uh, when we talk about like accountability, like owning who you are and how you are. Mm-hmm. Because for whatever reason, our first thought is, ooh, I need to pick up. Right? Other yeah. people are like, oh, I heard, or something. I don't know. What. Yeah, let me Other go talk people. to somebody, because yeah. I want
0: yeah. to cry on somebody's shoulder, yeah. not I have to use. Yeah,
1: because yeah. even we have oh, over 10 years, and even over 10 years, sometimes my instant thought, like when I first heard fentanyl was out, mm-hmm. I was mad. My first thought was I was mad. I was like, where was that? Yes. (laughs) When I was on the streets because you don't need as much. It lasts longer, like, all of that stuff. But then my second thought when I play it through because I've learned how to, like, work through things, that was my very first thought was... Really? Oh, yeah. I was mad. You couldn't get fit and all. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. See, uh, uh, one of my jobs at Odyssey is lining up uh, if, if a TV station wants to do a story about a substance or something, and, and I remember lining up an interview with a recovering uh, heroin addict, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and I sat in from afar watching the interview, and it, I think it was about fentanyl overdose deaths. Mm-hmm. And, and the female reporter asked, asked the guy, you, have you ever been with somebody who's died from a fentanyl overdose? Mm-hmm. And, and he said, yeah. And and she said, and this goes to your, the story of your boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, it he, she said, well, what did you, I bet you never went to that dealer again? And he said, no, I immediately went to that dealer because I knew yep. he was dealing good stuff. Yep, which absolutely. is such convoluted thinking. You know, yeah. I just watched somebody die. You watched your boyfriend overdose, and so you put the same needle in your mm-hmm. arm. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's really screwy thinking if you think about it.
2: He wasn't going to enjoy that and me not enjoy it. Even though he died, he was gray. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to let that happen.
1: And there's also a point where you get where it's like, I just don't want to be sick and I don't care what what I do. Toilet water, just whatever the case may be. Like, I'm using whatever I can because I don't want to be sick and I need to be able to show up. So I would need to inject heroin so I could just show up.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think the solution to, you know, this is a, it's it's a growing problem. What did I yeah. see in the last year? 107,000 people died yeah. in in the U.S. from from overdoses. How do we deal with with the issue? I mean, there's programs out there now that that do have beds available uh, and because of the expansion of medicaid Mm -hmm. most people can get into a treatment program if they want to Mm -hmm. so what do you think the solution is
2: i'm not discrediting any program but honestly i've talked to several other people that have been other programs and they didn't survive Odyssey and I'm so happy I survived Odyssey because I love it it was the best thing I've ever done in my life Um, if people if there was more Odysseys around and more accountability I think I think things would go better like like I said I'm not discrediting any other program but there's just something about Odyssey that helps
0: well in length of time makes a big difference to me a lot of people you know the posh Retreats that you go to for rehab are 30-day programs mm-hmm. because that's all their insurance will cover. Right. And and I've talked to a lot of people who relapse after those programs. Uh, one who's a good friend of ours, uh, and he he said we yeah. sort of consider that a month-long vacation. Yeah. And and we don't look upon it as recovery, whereas Odyssey's program. Connect, well, you were in it through all the different steps for a year, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and, and you can't just, you, you can't, if you had 10 or 20 years of living life mm-hmm. as an addict or an alcoholic or whatever, you can't just correct that in 30 days, no. right. you know.
1: You barely even learn to trust.
0: And well, you support. barely, your mind is barely yeah. even clear. Yeah. yeah.
1: You know. Might be able to look in the mirror at that point. And that's about it. Like, and to really like go through it, you need to learn about yourself. You need to be vulnerable. Yeah. But I'm not going to be vulnerable with people that I don't
0: know. And I'm only going to know for 27 more yeah. days. No yeah. way. Whereas at Odyssey, I mean, you get to know people who stay in the house for a long time.
2: Yeah, the eight months that I was at Lighthouse, um, I my bed was ready at IOP, or my bed was ready at sober living in for IOP, and I wanted to give it up i wanted to let him go just let it go and i would get catch the next one but um, one of the therapists anthony pulled me in, and he's like we've done all we can do for you in here you you've grown you've earned it mm-hmm. but even after that eight months i wasn't ready to leave to go be on my own even though i wasn't completely on my own i still wanted the structure of odyssey so if you just put all your all into it it doesn't matter how long it takes like I mean, 30 days I don't think is enough at all. But even eight months at that time was not enough for me. Uh, I, still, I yeah. still love going to anything I can for Odyssey grads group, um, doing candidate outs. I like, mm. yeah, I just, I have to be a part of it.
0: I, 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 I remember when I left my program, I was scared. Mm-hmm. Because you are in sort of the, the, uh, the podcast that we did last week. He described it as you're sort of in a bubble. Okay, and, you, and you, it's a very controlled bubble with mm-hmm. a lot of rules. And after you accept all the rules and you learn to live in that bubble, mm-hmm. it's pretty easy to live. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden you're, you have freedom. Yeah.
1: And then your life also happens. You have bills, you need to be responsible. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. have to make your own bed, that's right. you have to cook your own food, buy your own like, clothes, yeah. do your own. Yeah, that's right. Your
0: adulting starts. Yeah. yeah. So, how, how was life when you got out?
2: Um, I've took like the first three months off like I one of my, my therapists just said, all you have to do right now is stay clean, come to group and just be in orientation. So that's what I did. I didn't work for the three first three months um, and that was the best way I could do it. I would go on walks and it would feel weird because I was by myself and I didn't have a staff person with me I or can whatever do whatever I want. yeah. yeah. So, but I stayed home a lot, like, cause I didn't want to get triggered, and I didn't. I was still learning about my new triggers outside of the walls of Odyssey. So, I didn't do much for the first three months into sober. Li- I got lucky enough to live in sober living and go to groups, and that's what I did. Um, I was moved up pretty quickly, so then my groups got less and less. That's why I wasn't allowed to voyage out technically, because. I would only have group once a week. Me, I require a lot of support. So that's why I just, I naved out and then restarted an orientation. But like I said, I I didn't work. I was just programmed. That's, That's all I did.
0: Have you been tempted since you got out?
2: Not once. I've heard stories, um, I don't have a car right now because I can't get my license back till my, May 2023. So the one time I was walking home from Walmart and the bus missed me on 45th and like mm. 45th and like 9th or whatever. And the bus missed me, just kept driving past it. and I was so mad because I had all my bags in my arms. It was really hot outside. And I was like, you know what, I just want to say F this and drop everything mm-hmm. and go like to North Temple. But I didn't that was the one time and I how I deal with that is I look at um baby pictures and baby videos of my son like that's my one way to get through it because it just makes me laugh it makes like the time pass by and it makes the triggers just disappear that's my one way I get through it but that was yes the one time I wasn't tempted but I was ready to just say screw it um but yeah other than that My outpatient program really helped with being prepared for what was going to happen. My coping Mm -hmm. skills, my DBT skills, and all that, everything helped, yeah.
0: When you, uh, were you forced into Odyssey by the criminal justice program, or?
2: Technically, no. I wasn't court ordered. I had a PO, his name's Caden Walker, um, and he's in all my assignments because I like owe everything to him I feel like, and he doesn't even know it, but um, he was a year younger than me, and the way he talked to me was just like, like an older brother, kind of, and one day, well, every time I went into his office, I was high, and he was just like, are you tired of this yet? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, yeah. And he came to this house I was staying at, or this apartment. We were re-renovating with the abusive boyfriend, and the renovations, like, we got one step forward, ten steps back. Like, we were living in a place with literally no floors, no walls, Um, because we did demolition, so it was, like, dirt and a shower. So he came in there, and after that that time meeting at the apartment, he was like, okay, you're going to do an assessment, and let's just see what they say. And so my assessment was to do iop and he's like so if you want to keep your life and go back to being a mom you're gonna go to inpatient and mm-hmm. so it was like a verbal agreement between us but not the courts but that was the best thing i ever did that is so i love that you can talk about a po like that like they're oh, I mean, on most your side i hate my PO. I know, I wow. lo- my po was the best wow. <laughs> and cameron ward because Caden Walker, he got moved to a different job when I got into Odyssey. So Cameron Ward, um, she was my next PO, and she was so supportive, just totally supportive of everything. And I would go check in with her, and I would tell her if I got like a, if I got a border and that kind of stuff, and
0: which is sort of like a. Punishment of some kind. I mean, well. Intervention. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I shouldn't use the word punishment. Yeah. And I would
2: tell. I would just talk to her. Not like a. I know she was my PO, and she wasn't a girlfriend or anything like that. But all my family's in Cali, so yeah. I literally have my Odyssey family. I have my work family now, but that was someone that I, I could depend on. So mm-hmm. I just talked to her, and I told her everything. I'm open and honest about everything, and it makes my life a lot easier. But <laughs> we, we were talking about Our that last, in the last podcast. Yeah. You don't have
0: to remember the lies you told. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> um,
2: but I would tell her because I, I was on a no room, no breaker for over 21 days with every single male in the house. <laughs> yeah. So I would tell her about stuff like that. And she was just supportive. Like she knew about, everyone knows about my kid and my goals, my everything. So she, everyone, all my authority people have been super supportive
1: and I think that's the key is that just being able to be you mm-hmm. you know and say things like a, you know like okay I'm on this breaker because I need to learn boundaries mm-hmm. really like that's what it comes down yeah. to but being able to be like I am not perfect but I am trying mm-hmm. right. and that's what helps and I like when we asked if you had any thoughts of using I think the first thought um, once you find recovery it's not actually picking up it's because it's that emotional stuff that's going through like I'm hot I'm walking like it's that emotional the that you need to pass keep. me
0: by mm-hmm. yeah screw it they
1: hate me, this is my life forever. Like those yep. are that's what we think and it's that emotional that we need to stay up on. Yeah. Because people can relapse far before they pick up a drug True. or yeah. alcohol. And so I love how you said that point.
0: Yeah. And we talk about playing the tape and your your tape mm. is your, your son. Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm.
2: Sometimes I can play the tape a little bit too forward, though, and that's something that I've had to, like, back up on because, yes, I can think forward to, like, where I want to be. I want to have a spot for just him and I and go visit Grandma and Grandpa and not live with them anymore and that kind of stuff, and I have... I still have APMP, things to pay for, collections, and all that kind of stuff. So I can play the tape too far forward, but that's, again, when I just use my little coping skill of watching videos. Luckily, even though I was an addict, I was a good mom. I took millions of photos, millions of videos, so I have so many to look at, which I'm very happy about. Um, But, yeah.
0: I can see you were a good mom. Yeah, you can feel the love coming out yeah, of you. right?
1: you you light up when you watch this. Every time you talk about your son, your whole face just lights yeah. up Aww. and you smile. It's adorable. <laughs> thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, thank
0: you for your honesty today. Thank, yeah, you know the goal of our podcast is not to salaciously get into people's ugly lives, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, but uh, but to provide hope to people. You know yeah. that they're they're. You hear more about the negative things mm-hmm. about addiction and everything yeah. else. You know, so and so was arrested for murder, fighting with a cop, or murdering someone, and they were high on meth and that right. kind of stuff. But you, you so rarely hear about. And there's so many people who succeed. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Absolutely. And, and that's one thing we try to do: is show that recovery is possible. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Speak Mm -hmm. out loud about what it's really about, and we can have thoughts, but it doesn't mean this or it doesn't mean that. So the more that we voice it, Mm -hmm. when you're asking how to change this, it's advocacy. Mm -hmm. You know, people speaking up more and more about what it's really about, and so you're darling (laughs) and your son is a very very lucky young good luck with your son
0: and 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 continuing to put your life back together thank you for joining us today
2: thank you
0: thank you rachel
1: thank you good
0: good to see you again
1: oh man i missed
0: your face (laughs) wow with that i will thank you guys all for watching and listening to another edition of odyssey house journals